Well, as we start the new year, like so many people, my heart always leans towards being evaluative of the past year, looking forward to the new year. It's a good time. It's an opportune moment to stop and think, to evaluate our lives, to assess our church, to look at foundational, fundamental issues. I'm not just talking about New Year's resolutions. I heard uh, on the radio that less than 8% of New Year's resolutions make it the whole year. I'm talking about something deeper, something more substantive, more sustainable. You know, God has actually commanded these type of evaluative moments in our lives. We call it communion. See, 1 Corinthians 11.28 says, Let a person examine himself, and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Proper and regular self-evaluation is an important and a godly thing to do. We're going to take some time to do that today in our, our communion service. But this morning I want to do another kind of evaluation. I want to talk with you about why church. What is it about church that stands out as unique and exceptional and extraordinary? There are actually a lot of good answers to that question. I think if we just stopped the sermon right now and brainstormed, we could come up with great answers to those questions. But I want to start off here with some bad news, actually, some sad, some, some of the grim reality of the present condition of the church in the United States of America. Do you know that 6,000 churches in America close their doors every year? 3,500 to 7,500 Americans leave church every day, never to return. That's 25,000 to 50,000 people leave church every week, never to return. That's 1.5 million to 2.5 million people a year. Less than 20% of Americans attend church regularly. Only about 15% of churches in the United States are growing numerically. That being between 80 and 85% of all churches in America are either plateaued or are declining. Established church attendance. Churches 40 years old or older. Churches like ours are vastly declining. And here's the number that breaks my heart, and I'm sure breaks your heart as well. That only 2% of growing churches are effectively winning converts to Christ. Did you hear that? 2%. That means 98% of churches are not effectively winning converts to Jesus Christ. Beloved, I know, I long to be part of a church of that 2%. And I know you do as well. 800 new church plants survive each year. 10,000 new church plants are needed annually to keep up with population growth. Over two-thirds of the U.S. population, over 200 million Americans, remain a mission field that are completely disconnected from God and church. In 1920, 27 churches existed for every 10,000 Americans. In 1950, 17 churches existed for every 10,000 Americans. In 2011 and 2004, 11 churches existed for every 10,000 Americans. In 2015, the numbers have only gotten worse. If the trends continue, by 2050, the percentage of Americans attending church will be just over 10%. Today, approximately 70 million out of our 320 million Americans go to church. If current trends continue, as it said in 2015, with a population of 430 million Americans 
a growth of over 100 million, the number of church attenders will actually fall to less than 50 million. Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. So why such a decline? Well, obviously, there's the growth of secularism. There's the influence of false religions. There's an ever-growing desire for selfishness. And on and on and on. There are many, many reasons. But today I want to look at one. Perhaps it has less to do with all those things than perhaps we really realize. Perhaps it has more to do with us than we would care to admit. See, sometimes reality is not a pretty picture. But, oh, we need to embrace reality. We must do our best to see the situation clearly and honestly and respond with biblical wisdom and strength and creativity. I was hit across the heart this Saturday afternoon with an internet article that spoke about this very issue. Changed my sermon for the third time this week. It was called, Dear Church, Here's Why People Are Leaving You. And he listed five reasons why people are leaving the church. The first one, he said, is your Sunday productions have worn thin. He said, ultimately, Sunday morning isn't really making a difference on Tuesday afternoon or on Thursday evening when people are wrestling with the awkward, messy, and painful stuff in the trenches of life, the places where your shows don't help. We can be entertained anywhere until you can give us something more than a Christian-themed performance piece, something that allows us space and breath and conversation and relationship. Many of us are just going to stay asleep and stay away. The key I take from this thought is the idea of, of genuineness, of relationship. Church services are not a performance. Uh, not for the music, not for the pastor. They must be filled with authenticity, authentic worship, and Sunday relationships within the church that exist during the week for us. Sermons that speak to real life issues, where we really are on Tuesday afternoons and Thursday nights. His second point was, it says you speak a foreign language. He said, they, he said they need you to speak in a language they can understand. There's a message there worth sharing, but it's hard to hear above your verbal pyrotechnics. People don't need to be dazzled with big churchy words and about ecclesi- ecclesiological, that's a hard word to say, frameworks and theological systems. Talk to them plainly about love and joy and forgiveness and death and peace and God. And they'll be all ears. We do have to be careful, this is important, that we don't have this kind of in-your-club kind of language and not-in-the-club kind of language or feeling to the church. It's important for us to, to realize that this can be a stumbling block. The next point is very important. Your vision can't see past your building. Why aren't people coming to your church? Your vision can't see past the building. He says most of your time, money, and energy seems to be about luring, luring people into where you are instead of reaching people where they are. Rather than simply stepping out into the neighborhood around you and partnering with the amazing things already happening and the beautiful stuff God is already doing, you seem content to franchise out your particular brand of Jesus stuff and wait for the sinful world to beat your door down. Your greatest mission field is just a few miles or a few feet off your campus, and you don't even realize it. You want to reach the people you're missing? Leave the building. 
Now that's an important challenge. His fourth point was you choose lousy battles. He said instead of fighting against poverty and racism and violence and hunger, we choose to fight the media culture war. Instead of ministering to real people's needs, we choose to to battle, as he says, paper tigers. He says, church, we need to stop being warmongers with the trivial and pacifists in the face of the terrible. Instead of battling those who are battling us, instead of battling one another, we need to be focused on choosing the real battle in life that ministers to real people in their real need with a real gospel and a real Savior, Jesus Christ. His fifth point says, you don't, your love doesn't look like love. Love seems to be a pretty big deal to you, but you were, we, we're not getting that when the rubber meets the road. In fact, more and more, your brand of love seems incredibly selective and decidedly narrow, filtering out all the spiritual riffraff, which sadly includes far too many of us. It feels like a big bait-and-switch sucker deal, advertising, come as you are, but letting us know once you're in the door that you really can't come as we are. We see a Jesus in the Bible who hung out with low lives and outcasts and loved them right there. But that doesn't seem to be your cup of tea. Church, can you love us if we don't check all the doctrinal boxes and don't have our theology all figured out? It doesn't seem so. Can you love us if we're not sure how we define love and marriage and heaven and hell? It sure doesn't feel that way. From what we know about Jesus, we think he looks like love. The unfortunate thing is, you don't look much like him. Now, those are powerful, important words to hear, evaluative words to challenge us and to make us think and to not to defend who we are. There's good things about our church. I'm not saying this as negative about our church, but we have to push the truth and the reality so that we can come to grips to what God is calling us for and to, to think new thoughts. What do I get from this? What are some of the things that can help us become part of that 2% of churches that's actually growing by reaching lost people? What are some of the priority things to think about as we're trying to become a church that's actively reaching the lost for Jesus Christ? Thoughts like the need for through-the-week relationships, honesty in our struggles and authenticity of our relationships and of who we are. Getting connected to people and their real struggles of life. Applying God's word to real, day in, day out, everyday kind of life. Tuesday afternoon, Thursday night, life issues. Battling real life problems and not each other or not our Christianized preferences. And lastly, to love. To love like Jesus did. To love like Jesus does love. With no hoops. No prerequisites, just substantive, demonstrable, powerful, Christ-centered love. Now, we're so blessed that God is growing our church, both spiritually and numerically. But the reality of the decline of the churches all around us, the reality of the decline of, of the American church is evident for any one of us to see. So the challenge before us to move from the 15% of churches that are growing to move into the 2% of churches that are effectively reaching the law stands before us.
I'm regularly challenged by God, by His Word, by pastoral friends, by life circumstances and sermons and books. What does God want for His church? How does God want us to seek His heart in our church? What am I supposed to be doing as your pastor? What are we supposed to be about as a church? Why church? Sometimes in our effort to do church, we can take a lot of good things, even important things, even biblical things, and make them a higher priority than they really are. So here's the summary point. Here's the heart of the issue when it comes to this, these introductory thoughts. The focus of the church is not horizontal. The church is the people, right? The church is us. But the church is not about us. See, we can get go caught up, so caught up in doing church and doing church better and, and for many really good biblical reasons. And then we can fall into the trap of having a church that horizontal focused. This is so important. The focus of the church is not horizontal. The church is the people. The church is us. But it's not about us. See, the church is a group of people who've come together, surrounded by the the truth and the wonder and the beauty of God's word, because our lives are being transformed by Jesus Christ. See, we meet together as the first church did on those very first days of the church, detailed for us in Acts chapter 2. We meet together to learn about God. To pray to God, to worship God, to encourage one another toward God, and to tell others about God. You see, church, it's not about us. It's all about God. May I submit to you that the focus of church in all areas of the church should be vertical. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not even about catering to the lost or the seeker out there. The church is not about us. It's not about them. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. See, we're built on and we exist for Jesus Christ. The church is not about us. It's all about Jesus. The church is not about our presence. It's about his presence. The church is not about making us feel good, but it's about giving Jesus the glory that's due him. The church is not about our preferences. It's not about what we like or don't like. It's not about our agendas. The church is about what Jesus wants. The church is about what the Bible tells us to do. May I submit to you that horizontal-focused churches die. When church is all about us and what happens inside this building, the goals can quickly become personal agendas and And those personal agendas then force a status quo. And if you're stopped and if you're not moving forward, then what are you doing? You're declining and you're moving backwards. However, a church that's focused on the vertical, a church that is focused on the glory of Jesus Christ and fulfilling his mission, a church that's focused on Jesus and what he wants, a church that is focused on doing all things through him and for him and by him, Then the goal becomes a mutual, shared, biblical mission. A forward momentum that's fueled by the Holy Spirit, energized by a biblical focus to go into the world and preach the gospel. Don't you want to be part of a church that's on mission for Jesus Christ? 
Don't you want to be part of a church where you have real encounters with the living God, where lives are being changed? Don't you want to be part of a church where, where only things are happening that we could say, only God could have done that. Only God is the answer for that. Planning and strategies are very important for a church. But they must not take the place of God's leadership of a church. When God is removed from the driver's seat, to sit in the passenger seat, every church will falter and fail. And how easy is it to put Jesus in the passenger seat, right? Because we want to try to impress them. Yeah. Look at all we're doing. Look as we drive you around, Jesus, to all this wonderful stuff that we are doing. It's much harder. It's much riskier. It's also much more rewarding to have Jesus as the driver and him showing us, this is my plan. This is my vision. This is my focus. See, churches are closing throughout America because we've taken our focus off the vertical and onto the horizontal. The problem isn't so much that we have inadequate strategies. It's that we have inadequate faith. We so quickly settle for a predictable, steady, reasoned church experience that all becomes comfortable for us and routine. It's hard to walk by faith as individuals. It's much harder to walk by faith as a church. But it could be for that very reason that our churches are failing. So little supernatural is happening that it seems that Christ has been replaced with strategies and plans and rationalism and comfort and routine. Instead of prevailing against the gates of hell, we're happy to just settle for a nice church time. Instead of experiencing the manifest glory and the presence of God, we settle for nice warm feelings with friends. Instead of lives dramatically changed, we settle for old ministry paradigms that have stopped working years ago. Now, as I preach this sermon, there's one person standing here. There's only one standing. That's me. And guess what? This sermon is all about how I've settled. This sermon is, is the greatest challenge and conviction to me. I preach this sermon, it bounces off the wall and it bounces right back into my heart. Folks, we're in this together, figuring this out, with the weight of responsibility on me as a senior pastor of this church. Folks, I tell you, I cannot settle. God will not calm my soul. I must learn. I must grow. I must become the kind of pastor that Jesus Christ wants me to become. Folks, we can't settle. We we must learn. We must become the kind of church that puts Jesus in the driver's seat and, and takes the risks of following where he wants us to go. You see, here's the truth. God is alive. Folks, God's alive. He's, well, he's on the march. You know what? Millions of people are coming to know Jesus Christ all over the world. Revivals and amazing things are happening. God is calling people to him through the power of the Holy Spirit all around our globe. In Poland, in Struthers, in Borgman, in Youngstown, in Ohio. God's at work. What is it that makes a church draw in new believers by the millions? 
What is it that brings believers eager and excited to come to church? Not that I have to go to church, but that I get to go to church. I believe it's experiencing God. Experiencing God in your real life, in your heart. It's experiencing God's rule and reign over your life. It's experiencing God's work, seeing it as, it, as he lives it out in other people's lives. It's having God's word come alive to you as you study and in your prayer life, as you hear it preached to you. It's being used by God to minister to another person and to lead another person to Christ. It's living your life with a vertical focus, not a horizontal focus. Is your life vertical? Is it focused on Jesus Christ, His glory, His purposes, 24-7? Or is it horizontal? Me, my needs, what I want, what I want church to do, what I want church to be. We don't just want the omnipresence of God. Hear this now. We don't just want the omnipresence of God in our church. You know, when you go to, when you go to Giant Eagle, God is there. When you go to the gas station, God is there. We want to have God here different than God at Giant Eagle or God at the gas station. We don't just want the omnipresence of God in our church. We want the manifest presence of God in our church changing lives, changing hearts, bringing people to salvation, restoring broken relationships, healing broken hearts, emboldening our lives into service and to risk for Jesus Christ, bringing His Word alive and changing us by the power of His Spirit. We want the manifest presence of Jesus Christ changing our lives and giving glory to Him. See, 2015 is a pivotal year for Poland Village Baptist Church, and it's a year we have to have a vertical focus on our Lord and Savior. We start off 2015. It'd be good now here to to look at these things I put there in a bulletin. A a review of a document I put together for our church a few years ago called The Five Pillars of Poland Village Baptist Church. The five guiding principles that make our church that answer some of these questions that I've brought up. What are we about? Why do we exist? What are we aiming for? Now here, folks, there's no rocket science here. There is nothing new here at all. Not a bit. There's no great spiritual insight. These five pillars of the church have been handed down, I believe, to all churches by our Lord through the scriptures. We have been handed our marching orders. We don't need to invent anything. God has clearly given it to us. It's our privilege to just simply live it out. It's our privilege. It's our honor to be called to do his mission. It's our opportunity the opportunity of our lifetimes to live a life that's focused on his purpose for us. So why church? What are we supposed to be about? What's our focus? What makes church stand out as unique, exceptional, extraordinary? I want to look at these three passages. Look at these five pillars. Turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. It's called the Great Commission. You know, another way... To help us understand what this is, you could call it the great directive. You could call it the great assignment. You could call it the great imperative. It's like a commander commanding his troops. It's like a father talking to his children. It's like a Lord 
to his followers. Jesus says, do this. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Our mission is clear. We're to make more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. What's our mission? What's our assignment? What's the directive Jesus gives us? What is it that we're aiming for? To make more and better fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And right here in this little passage, Jesus just doesn't tell us to make more disciples. He also gives us a pathway on how to do that. There are three parallel participles in verse 19 and 20. Going, baptizing, and teaching. These three words describe for us how to make disciples. We're to make disciples as we're going about our regular lives. We're to be a light for Christ 24-7, reflecting him for the whole world to see. We're to share him in the natural course of our lives with our friends, with our family, with our co-workers, with our hairdresser, with whomever we have in our lives. It just should flow naturally from us, out of our personalities that God has created us to be, that it just should just flow in conversation that we love God and we have a vertical focus to our lives and that he's the one we're living our daily lives for. The mission, uh, well, then, it, then there's the next is the baptizing. And this is that we got to see this so wonderfully pictured for us just a few weeks ago, this, this uniting of the disciple to Jesus Christ in a visible way of showing to all of us a commitment that they've made to Christ. And then it's the teaching. We're to teach Jesus, to teach what he has commanded with, an, with this unending aspiration of actually conforming our lives to the way he lived, our li- he lived his lives. We're to conform our lives to the way that he actually lived his life. See, the mission is clear, and the scope of the mission is clear. Right before his ascension into heaven, Jesus gave this command in Acts 1.8 said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So from this command of Christ, we've broken out the scope of living out God's great directive, God's great imperative, God's great commission into making disciples in our lives. It's kind of like an ever-growing target, Acts 1-8 is. We start with those around us in our lives, with those in our families, in our neighborhood, in our city relating to Jerusalem. And then we focus on the area of, around us relating to Judea, an ever-growing target. But we're not just supposed to reach people we know. We're not just supposed to reach people that are like us. We're supposed to reach people who are different than us who might speak differently, who might look differently than us, who have a different culture, who have different values than us. See, the message of the gospel is for all people. Samaria, in this verse, represents a different culture, a different, a different people than people in Jerusalem or Judea. Jesus purposely states in this very last sentence, he says, before his ascension, that his mission is for all people, for all cultures, for all colors, in all areas, for the, for the whole earth. 
So we've united our mission from Matthew 28 and the scope of the mission from Acts 1-8 and come up with our Together for the Gospel teams. So you see there, Jerusalem, the Together Poland team, Judea, the Together Struthers team, Samaria, the Together Youngstown team, to the ends of the earth, the Together World team. We've started these four teams whose goal is to fulfill the Great Commission, to to work out the great imperative in our lives in these specific areas with these specific peoples. Of course, the challenge for us not only is it as a church to live it out, the challenge for us is individually to live it out with our family, our friends, with those we know and our co-workers. We started these teams last year. There's still a lot of organizing. There's still a lot of work to be done to flush these out and to have them to really to be tools in the hand of the Holy Spirit to reach our community. We still need volunteers in these areas, especially in the Together Youngstown and Together World teams. You feel God calling you to these types of ministries. Come talk to me. The next four pillars all come from one verse, Acts 2.42. Acts 2.42, and it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. These are the four essential characteristics of the church. This is what the focus of the church was when it first started. This is the focus of the church throughout the New Testament. This then is their focus. This then was their pillars to build the church. These are our pillars. This is how you build the church. This is how you do it. Preaching and teaching the Bible is the core. Apostles' teaching. The central teaching of our church is, is all from the Bible. It's the core. It's the heart of who we are. It's the DNA of what we do and what we believe. Not some of it, folks. All of it. Not just the easy parts, but the hard parts, too. Not just the stuff that we want to do that fills us up with nice, warm, and fuzzies. No, the stuff that's challenging to do. The stuff that's hard to do. We are followers of the living word, Jesus Christ. And the best way to follow him is being followers of the written word. The Bible, his revelation to us, is the heart of who we are and what we do. The next pillar of our church is where love one another is real. That's the word fellowship. We take loving seriously at Poland Village Baptist Church. Because love is not just a feeling that we have. But so much more love is a commitment that we have. We're committed to act for the good of another above the good of ourselves. We're committed to act for the good of those who need Christ above ourselves. We're to love as Christ loves us. Real, substantial love that puts the needs of others as a higher priority than our own needs. Koinonia. Fellowship. Putting the needs of others as a higher priority than our own needs. This is a type of love. This purposeful love that permeates our church when we're here in this building and when we are on mission for Jesus Christ in our community. It's this type of love that needs to flow. Jesus' love. Next is worship or communion is all to the glory of Jesus Christ. And that's the breaking of bread. Corporate church worship and communion are God-given reminders to keep our focus on the vertical, on him, in all areas of our lives, in all areas of our church, vertical focus. Worship and communion 
focus our thoughts on things above, on God's priorities, and not on earthly things below, temporary, shallow priorities. For our lives, for our church to be all that it can be, we need to recalibrate our lives on a regular basis through worship, through communion, focusing on the glory of Jesus Christ and what he has called us to do and to be in following him. The next pillar is prayer. Prayer is the power of dependence. The power of dependence. We need so much more prayer in our church because we need so much more of God's guidance. We need so much more of his wisdom. We need so much more of his leadership in our church. In 2015, we need to have a spiritual revolution in prayer in our church. And it starts this Wednesday, 6.30. Come help light the fire. Come help start the spiritual revitalization of our church to become that 2% with a focus on becoming a church that's effectively reaching the lost for Jesus Christ. His mission, not ours. His goals, not ours. His plan, not ours. His marching orders for us. You see, the church is the people. But it's not about the people. The church is us. But it's not about us. It's all about Jesus. May God grant us wisdom and strength to pursue a vertical-focused church. Please pray with me for Poland Village Baptist Church. There will be a church where you can experience the manifest presence of God, that He is doing things here and lives are being changed, where God gets the glory for the work that He is doing, where it's not about us, but it's all about Him. May God change us and use us in significant ways in this coming year. As we go to our communion time now, please pray, ponder these thoughts, evaluate this sermon in your own life, in the church. Think about things. Think about your spiritual life. Think about the church. Pray, pray, pray. Father, we come to you now. So thankful for this new year. Thank you for this time where we, uh, you know, kind of as a, as a world, as a people, stop and evaluate. But Lord, these were your thoughts long ago. You gave us this communion time. You said to us, when you have this communion time, evaluate, think, pray. You know, what's going good? What, needs to, what good things are going that we need to make even better? What difficult things, what challenging things, what, what, what things that aren't going right that we need to change? Lord, we pray now in this communion time we would evaluate. We would look to Jesus. It's all about him that our lives would recalibrate from a horizontal focus to a vertical focus, that our church would recalibrate from a horizontal focus to a vertical focus, that it would be about you 24-7 in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.